Hey everybody, it's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas on the other side. <laughs> it's Paul who's forgotten how to speak today. Hey everyone, it's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas. And we are here today on Odie Wire Radio and today we have a different sort of show for you. Um, you know, typically on Odie Wire, people argue with each other um, about things that optometrists do, but today we're going to actually talk about optometric organizations and specifically we're going to talk about the American Optometric Foundation. And it's not just going to be Paul and I yelling at each other and, and trying to uh, make sense of this. We actually have an honest-to-God legitimate expert here with us today. Um, Dr. Uh, Mark Bolomar, who uh, many of you actually may have known because he was a professor at The Ohio State University for 15 years. Uh, now he's an independent regulatory consultant development professional, and he's an adjunct at the University of Houston. Uh, but most importantly, um, Dr. Bullimore is with the AOF, and he's going to talk to us today all about the AOF, what it does, what it means, how it supports research, and how it supports students. So with that all said, Dr. Bullimore, Mark, thanks for showing up today. It's a pleasure to be here. So I guess let's start from base principles. If you have ignorant folks like me who don't really understand the AOF and, and what its mission is, let's start from the very beginning. Who founded the AOF? Well, let me first clarify something because you've said AOF, and uh, when we talk in acronyms, that can be misinterpreted. So <laughs> when I refer to the uh, American Optometric Foundation, I usually talk about the foundation or the academy's foundation. But if I say AOF, that's what I'm saying. I'm not referring to AOS because uh, usually those letters uh, prompt a whole uh, series of uh, um Passionate emails and communications on ODY. Yes, so, F, F is in Frank, everyone, not S. So <laughs> you can save the hate. The, uh, so to answer your question, uh, the foundation was uh, formed in 1949. Um, William Ciazel, who was uh, from South Carolina, I believe, um, was the the primary mover and shaker. But it was a group of other uh, um, optometrists who really formed the, the American Optometric Foundation with a view to stimulating and supporting research in optometry. Um, so if you've done the math, I think we're uh, celebrating our 65th anniversary this year. The core mission, sorry. Um, the core mission um, is really to promote the future of optometry um, primarily through supporting optometrists and vision scientists, vision scientists who are beginning their careers. So um, a major component of what we do is funding um, individuals or supporting individuals who are pursuing graduate degrees um, in vision science and other uh, disciplines related to optometry. Um, to that end, our uh, flagship program is the Azel Fellowship Program. Um, that's named for um, you know, the founding father, William Azel. And over the years, that supported probably over 200, maybe 250 uh, graduate students, uh, mainly optometrists who are you know, working towards a career in education and research. So when did the when did the foundation become part of the American Academy of Optometry? Well, I had to do a little research of my own here. Um, 
but uh, it was before my time. It was in the early 90s, and the American Optometric Foundation was autonomous, um, but was also floundering, and uh, uh, many people felt that it uh, had lost its way. And I believe the foundation entered into discussions with a number of entities, including the Academy, um, ASCO, and possibly the AOA. Um, but it was spelled in the end that the Academy was the uh, the best fit. So I have a nice picture um, of uh, Academy president, the uh, late Rex Gormley, and then foundation president, Dale Lervick from Colorado, shaking hands um, around about 1992 to uh, uh, confirm this sort of, this merger. And in doing so, the, the Academy sort of took over responsibility, um, but also uh, a certain amount of leadership. So the foundation board is now appointed by uh, the Academy board of directors. So we, we talk about the foundation being an affiliate or the philanthropic arm of the American Academy of Optometry. So as I um, recall, Irv Borish entered into the picture pretty early on. Mm -hmm. uh, so what yeah. was his affiliation? What sort of relationship did uh, Irv have with the uh, foundation? Well, I don't think Irv was ever president, but don't quote me on that. I'll, uh, I'll rustle through my... Uh, most recent annual report to see if his name's on there as, as, as president. But um, as you know from uh, knowing Irv Borish, Irv was always on the scene or behind the scenes um, and at a lot of important junctures of optometry. And I believe he was on the board when the, uh, the merger took place. Um, so he's always been uh, somebody of uh, great... Um, insight and foresight, and I believe, um, though Elder Statesman might correct me, that he was one of the people in favor of the uh, of the merger. Uh, he's also been among the strongest uh, um, individual supporters of the foundation financially, um, of, uh, through his uh, various, various trusts that he set up, uh, contributed over a hundred thousand dollars to the foundation, um, so that that puts him sort of among the top five uh, philanthropists of the foundation throughout its history. I noticed that uh, this year there are some pictures by Irv that are being auctioned off. Yeah, Irv's been very generous both financially and. Uh, um, in terms of some of his artwork, um, many of your listeners may know that Art, um, Irv was quite the artist. I mean, he was a true Renaissance man. And I visited with him ooh, maybe six or seven years ago, uh, and he gave us seven or eight paintings at that time that we auctioned off uh, to benefit the foundation. And fortunately, his daughter... Um, Fran Goldman has given us another uh, half dozen or so paintings and pieces of work that we're auctioning off at this year's Academy meeting. Um, if people are interested in, in seeing his artwork, uh, there are some examples of it on the uh, Foundation uh, 
uh, web page. If you uh, go to the Academy page or go to the American Optometric Foundation page and look under uh, Annual Meeting 2012, you'll find a number of uh, his paintings there, and you can you get a sense of uh, what he did. Um, we don't have any of his most desired paintings. There are a couple of his paintings that people own uh, that are really uh, sought after, principally the Borish nudes. Um, he painted a couple of uh, nudes. Um, I hope not a Borish. And... <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> um, actually uh, um, a num number of, uh, at least a couple of women within the academy had inquired of him some some years ago, you know, how could they get one of his nudes? And his answer always was, was, was uh, send me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, uh, and uh, you, this, this may not make the cut, but uh, um, I went to take him to uh, lunch about five years ago with Carla Zadnik and um, Tony Adams, and he got into the car with us to go off to lunch. And he immediately said to Carla, he said, you know, I want, I want you to know that I'm, I'm trying to find um, an appropriate redhead model um, so I can, I can do a painting for you. Um, and to, to this end, uh, you know, I've subscribed to Playboy magazine looking for an appropriate <laughs> <laughs> So um, he was, uh, he was, he was, Still, still full of uh, uh, the joys of spring, even in his uh, twilight years. I mean, this would have been this was less than five years ago wow. um, when he was still incredibly energetic. Amazing. So, as far as the uh, AOF, the uh, the foundation endowment, I noticed that it's jumped from a million dollars to four million dollars in the past ten years. How did you manage that? Yeah. We well, we could go back even further than that. Um, I was looking through some old documents. I think at the time of the uh, the merger, if you like, um, between the Academy and the Foundation, um, there was probably less than $100,000 in the coffers. Wow. Um, when, I, when I got involved about 10 years ago, we had an endowment of about a million, and that was due in, in part to uh, some fundraising, um, Dr. Boris had already uh, committed a large amount of money. There was some money from the Jackson estate. Uh, so the, the foundation was uh, in a little better shape. Uh, but things have really taken off in the last 10 years due to a number of uh, factors. Um, the first thing is that the academy started picking up the, the staff costs, uh, which you know, are typically... You know, with the operating costs of the foundation in total, typically tend to be about 100000 So the academy started covering most of the staff costs now and has done so for, I think, at least uh, eight years. So that means any money that we raise, they don't have to go to the operating costs. They can grow, go to grow the uh, endowment. Um, we've also had some uh, very generous uh, long-term uh, corporate supporters and while it's difficult for um, a corporation to contribute to an endowment, um, they do, again, contribute to our administrative costs, um, the day-to-day you know, -day running. So, again, 
when we've gone to people and say, will you contribute, um, they can be sure that all of the money is going to endow an award or to, to support an award rather than going towards the operating costs of the organization. Um, the third, the, sorry, the, you know, the, the third thing I would say is that you know, we have had a lot of uh, very generous individuals and groups have really, uh, really stepped up. Um, you know, we've had tremendous, uh, we had a tremendous outpouring of support when George Mertz passed away. Um, I guess that was almost 10 years ago. And when his widow left us a couple of years ago, um, her estate uh, contributed another 200000 to the foundation. So there are instances like that where, you know, due to people's love of optometry, they, they see this as a really um, great opportunity to um, uh, to remember folks and really pay pay it forward in terms of somebody's legacy. Right. Now, you know, I, I imagine that there are some research and uh, academically oriented students that are listening to this. If they're interested in uh, participating and, and seeing if they can get an, an award, what, what do they have to do? Well, we have uh, awards for uh, people at various stages of their training. Um, you know, so, for example, one of our longest standing awards is the Vistacon Award of Excellence. And this is a $1,000 award that goes to a graduating student at each and every school and college of optometry in, uh, in North America and Canada. So there's opportunities to benefit there. We have a number of scholarship programs uh, for optometry students, um, some competitive, some by nomination. And we're always looking to partner with, uh, with, uh, with new groups. We have a residency award program. Um, we have um, about half a dozen residency awards sponsored by Vistacon, and a new one this year that's uh, um, established in honor of Doug Hopkins, who was uh, very much involved with the primary care section of the academy. And we uh, we reached our target there, um, thanks in no small part to a generous donation from his uh, widow, Roberta, um, and we made our first award this year. In terms of uh, graduate student awards and research awards, um, as I said before, the Azel Fellowship Program is our flagship program. And if uh, you are a um, motivated optometrist um, pursuing a graduate degree, uh, particularly a PhD, um, Sooner or later, you're going to find yourself very competitive for uh, an Azel Fellowship. Um, we gave 12 of those this year, so that represents about uh, $100,000 in fellowships and additional support going to uh, uh, those individuals. And uh, graduate students can apply for a second year of funding as well. So it's you know, not going to be enough to live on, but it'll uh, offset some of the... Uh, financial uh, hardships of pursuing more education uh, in the U.S. or uh, even abroad. Yeah, you're a little closer to home. Um, how long have you been involved with the AOF? And, and what do you basically do for the foundation? Um, I was uh, drafted onto the board 
about uh, 10 years ago, I believe. Um, it was at a difficult time for the board because George Mertz had just passed away. So I pretty soon found myself thrust into the leadership structure. Um, I was actually a two-term president, so I was president for four years. And the academy board liked what I was doing uh, and liked my leadership, but of course I was term-limited out, um, which is uh, one of the things that we uh, we enjoy and probably should have in any organization. So they said, well, you know, would you work part-time really as a staff person? So I became a development director, and while I was still at Ohio State, that made my dean pretty happy because it meant that now the academy was picking up a portion of my university salary um, concept which we call release time so for the past four years or so um, I've you know worked part-time uh, really as a as a fundraiser and liaising with the corporations who uh, support us but also you know beating the um, beating the drum in terms of uh, getting individual members of the academy and people who uh, care about optometry outside the academy um, uh, to contribute. So I spent a lot of my time uh, talking with people, approaching people, um, developing relationships with uh, individuals and companies or in practice or in education research, really just trying to further the uh, the foundation's mission. So so what? As far as uh, the foundation's concerned, for the individual optometrist or optometry generally, what's the importance of it? Why should uh, the average optometrist say, I'm going to contribute to the foundation? Individual charitable giving is a very personal thing. And what I've learned by talking to people uh, is that they often give the causes that have touched them. So if somebody has a mother or a wife who has been fighting breast cancer, they have a um, uh, a desire to support that uh, those charities. Um, the American Academy of Optometry um, and its foundation really cares about the future of optometry and the future leadership. And the foundation is about growing the leadership of tomorrow with an optometry. And that could be researchers, educators, or indeed people on, the, if you like, the professional side of the house. Um, you know, Kevin Alexander is a good example. He's somebody who is very active in optometric education, but also was you know, a leader of the American Optometric Foundation, a past president. He was supported during his studies um, by the American Optometric Foundation. I think we all need to, as uh, optometrists, invest in the future. Uh, optometry has been very, very good to uh, a number of us, uh, many of us. Um, you know, I haven't uh, become a millionaire through uh, being in optometry and optometric education, but it's provided me with a very fulfilling uh work life and I'm very grateful for the friends and the colleagues that I've made all over the world through being within optometry. So the foundation is an opportunity to 
to say thank you to your profession and to invest in its future, invest in the future uh, educators, the future researchers. And the foundation does really more than any other entity within optometry to that end. You know, there are other optometric charities. Um, you know, the AOA does a lot of good work through um, its uh, foundation, uh, but it has a very different mission to the American Optometric Foundation. Likewise, Optometry Get Insight is a very worthy cause, but again, it has a different uh, focus from our own. Um, so that's why I give. Yeah. So assuming, and, and you can assume, that there will be some uh, leaders of organizations, of companies, vendors, optometric vendors that are listening to this podcast, uh, what, what have you to say to them? Why, why should their company support the foundation? I think it's uh, a great way to not only support organized optometry, but to also support the schools and colleges and also support you know, the individual optometrists, um, and dare I say, the, uh, the consumers of the future. Uh, we think it's a great opportunity when a corporation partners with us because um, with the new rules and regulations, it means that they can make a grant to our foundation. We can run a... Um, an awards program, a research grant program, a residency awards program, and the company cannot be accused then of uh, making the, the choices themselves. The choices are made usually by an independent board assembled by the foundation, so it keeps it very nice and clean from the point of view of the regulators, and that's become a greater concern, as you know, within uh, the whole... Uh, um, medical industry. Right, so what would it take as far as an endowment? Uh, if uh, a company wants to endow, what, what sort of dollars are they looking at? Well, in terms, there's two ways account, um, people can support us. They can either contribute to uh, an endowed award, um, and the multiplier we usually would use would be 25. So if, if uh, somebody wants to endow, um, a thousand dollar award, which would be given every year in perpetuity, uh, they would need to um, raise or give twenty five thousand. So, typically, um, the main things that we've endowed recently have been Azel um, Fellowship endowments. So, we've typically sought to raise somewhere in the region of two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So. For example, recently uh, Essilor gave um, or endowed um, a fellowship in honor of Mike Daly, who was a long-standing leader within that, that company, and they gave 240000 over uh, a four-year period. Uh, similarly, Michael Harris, um, very generous uh, uh, philanthropist that anybody who uh, is affiliated with UC Berkeley will, will know, um, Michael himself endowed um, an award and donated um, over a period of time 240000 um, The enjoyment for him now is that every year he has um, an academic or optometric grandchild that's supported by the foundation. 
So we start small. Um, we have you know, larger endowments that we uh, we try and develop. Um, but anybody, you know, an individual, a group, a corporation, um, can you know can establish a fund that will ultimately uh, guarantee an award for uh, perpetuity. Great. Um, so, Mark, we're running a little bit short on time, but this podcast will likely be listened to by about 2,000 of your peers. So picture, if you will, about 2,000 folks all over the U.S., average uh, optometrists. How can they help? If you had to get a message out to those people, what would you actually tell them? If optometry has been good to you, if you're making a good living, and if you care about the future of your profession and investing in the future leaders of your profession, uh, the American Optometric Foundation is a great way um, to support uh, your profession and, and, and pay it forward. Uh, you only have to you know, go to our website and see some of the programs that we're supporting, some of the funds that were established. Um, and you can find me pretty easily. You want to pick up the phone and uh, if you have some ideas, things that you'd like to do, um, you should do that. Uh, it's a 501c3, so it's tax deductible. And you, know, you can give in honor of somebody who has already made an important impact on your professional life. Great. So I guess the one final question I, I need you to uh, so to put on your uh, fortune teller's hat, and what does the future hold for the the foundation? Uh, I wish I knew the answer to that, but uh, I was looking the other day at how we've grown and comparing that to how you know, the financial markets have done. And uh, if you look at our last ten years and look at what's happened to uh, Wall Street. Uh, it's amazing that we've done that well. Um, we're not tied to uh, the stock market, but obviously uh, uh, the better our investments do, the longer, the better we'll do in the long term. Uh, we do have some exciting new programs. Um, we're starting um, a Mertz Fellowship uh, based on the Mertz Endowment, and this is uh, um, something like a Rhodes Scholars program. This is an opportunity for... Uh, um, a U.S.-based or North American-based optometrist to travel abroad um, or uh, a foreign optometrist to come to the U.S. And it can be anybody at any stage of their career. It could be uh, somebody who's just finishing their study. It could be somebody who's uh, um, you know, somewhat late in their career. We just want to be excited by what they propose to do. So I think there's opportunities for growth. I think there, uh, our financial situation hopefully will uh, continue to improve. And with the support of the profession, uh, there's no limit to what we can achieve in terms of investing in our future. Great. Well, Mark Bullimore, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you, Mark. See you at the Academy. Thanks very much, guys. 